0: Jazakallah to tuning into to Deen, another episode of Dean Talk. Um, we've got a very interesting topic today, but just before we start, I'd just like to introduce our guest, um, Mona Abu we Sab, who we had on um, last year, um, long overdue. with um, you. for your time and effort to uh, come over and join us today. Um, the topic today is um, monthly news roundup. And the idea behind this, this topic is... Uh, me and Jehan were talking, who is also here as well, about the amount of news that we consume. Um, obviously, you know, especially through social media, there's so much news that is blasted in our faces. And often, you know, we don't, we just kind of take it on board, believe it, then forward it on to somebody else. But we don't really think about it, how it affects us as a Muslim or how we should actually react to a, a piece of news. So what we're planning to do is hopefully hope have these sessions on a monthly basis and talk about any news um sort of articles or stories that we feel is relevant to us and you know to kind of just have a talk amongst ourselves about how we feel about it and what's our views on it and I think it's very important to call it, uh, to clarify that obviously we're not journalists we're not news experts everything that we discuss is going to be kind of our um, our own opinions um therefore who are uh, all of our listeners that are listening in you know um Our message would be sort of you need to think for yourself as well, what you take on board. um So, on that note, the first thing I would like to talk about was last year, and end of last year, around about November, uh, a great scholar passed away called Mufti Rafi Usmani Sub, who is the elder brother of Mufti usmani and was a Was a great, not just a a great scholar, but you know, he he was a very um, uh, prestigious person. He was also the Grand Mufti of Pakistan. And personally, when I heard about him passing away, you know, you always hear about these scholars passing away. Some scholars you know, some scholars you kind of um, have uh, uh, some kind of connection with. But but Mufti Rafi Usmani Sab, I don't personally have any connection with him except for the fact that I know him as the elder brother of Mufti Takisab. But I don't know why it really affected me when I heard the sad news about him passing away and I think it's just, it's so, someone like you kind of grew up with, you know, he was always there, his books, we studied, his lectures we uh, listened to um, and, you know, Alhamdulillah, I had the uh, opportunity to meet him once or twice in the UK as well when he came over. But I think what we, um, what I wanted to talk about with Mullah was, like, when these scholars pass away, how should we react? And, you know, we always hear that the, the, the death of a scholar is a great loss for ummah And why is that the case? Okay,
1: okay. Um, so Can I start by uh, Thanking you all for inviting me on again And uh, Also commending you For all of your hard work In trying to deliver to uh, Ordinary Muslims A means of informing themselves Of their deen uh, enhancing their knowledge, and just getting the you know, the right information um, out there. Uh, <clears throat> straight into the first topic that you mentioned, uh, again, my uh, initial reaction with the passing of Mufti Rafi Usmani was one of shock, uh, and it touched everyone, especially people associated with knowledge who were involved in the work of Deen, and who have an idea of who this giant of a figure was, uh, were shocked. But for a normal Muslim, you know, how does it impact them? How does it affect them? Um, you know, what we must understand that the ulama, the scholars, and what I mean by scholars are those phenomenal giants who really shape the, uh, the scholarly and academic and spiritual uh, life of muslims these people are immensely significant in their influence on um, a normal muslim even if we don't really see that influence and uh, people of the stature of mufti rafisab when the Ummah, when muslims in general uh, lose them traditionally the the general population was very attached to scholars that's yeah. been a case yeah. just anecdotal story you might have heard it we've all heard it before it was about um when once the zubaydah the wife of harun rashid uh, ta'ala, when she heard a commotion outside her palace and some exaggerated a little how true it is but the incident itself is um, mentioned in the history books uh There was a commotion and she looked out of a balcony and she said, what's happening? Why are all the people abandoned the streets and they've all congregated at one place? And then one of the maids said to her that Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak has arrived in the city. And Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, obviously one of the famous ulama scholars uh, of law and of hadith, Uh, he was, uh, in the time of Imam Abu Hanifa, he he actually studied by him as well, and he was a phenomenal giant of a scholar, one of those few individuals yeah. that the uh, Ummah uh, acknowledge uh, irrespective of their differences. So he arrived and they made the half of the city of Baghdad empty to go and uh, receive him. And Zuvaida, she comment- commented that she said that this is true kingship. This is what a true king is. No one comes to my husband, meaning <laughs> Harun al-Rashid, the, <laughs> the great Khalifa Ach- except if they're brought in chains. So the general population of Muslims had huge respect and they were deeply attached to their ulama and you know this sayings as well Allahu Alam how authentic obviously none of this is prepared Uh, that two groups if they're correct then my ummah will be correct and if they're corrupt then my ummah will be corrupt the scholars and the rulers yeah. so the scholars are hugely significant and so when a, when a great individual passes away it affects each and every single one of us and uh, what's happened recently is that uh, or increasingly many normal muslims are becoming more and more detached from scholars they have a connection with online personalities at most if they are of a religious frame of mind and generally there's no association or attachment to scholars at yeah. all the most they might interact with their local imam or something like that. And that even that attachment and association is very minimal. So there's a huge disconnect with knowledge and with people of knowledge. And that's very, very uh, worrying for the ummah in general. Um, when I was studying abroad in, in Damascus, uh, I can remember I found it a huge shock. Uh, some of my experiences going to the gatherings of ulama literally you know one of the first gatherings i went to and it wasn't even one of the most renowned scholars in damascus uh there's a very famous place called ma'adu bin nur where a lot of the uh, foreigners foreign students used okay. to go and that was our initial first there were much more prestigious places as well but we attended a few lectures initially there and the scholar the sheikh, literally had to be escorted in wow. because of the throngs of people just waiting to meet him and he had to be escorted out Uh, because people were literally surrounding him, kissing his hands and feet. And, uh, you know, the example I gave is when a prominent scholar in Damascus would arrive anywhere, it was literally like uh, the ocean opening up for Musa, (laughs) where people would step aside and make way. And it was a huge reaction. We would go to some of the, I can remember, there's a great wali of uh, the Hanafis buried in Damascus called Sheikh Abdul Ghani Nablusi, from the city of Nablus in Palestine, but he's buried in Damascus. And he's a phenomenal figure in in Hanabi scholarship of of that time as well. He's got many works to his credit and name as well. So he's buried and his masjid um, was a very popular place for one particular scholar to deliver lectures. And we thought we'd attend his tafsir uh, on one occasion. And we got there 15, 20 minutes before Isha, but it was packed. We just about made it into the main hall and the women's section was packed the men's section was packed all in anticipation for this lecture and the students the people had uh books and pens writing books and pens already yeah so that was the level of connection they had with the that's deteriorated to a great extent now i'm dragging on this but i'll get to the point when someone of the caliber of mufti the rafisab passes away and it's a huge loss not only because he's a scholar of that level Because of his own unique traits and characteristics one point I will mention which I picked up I'm not a student directly but of course like yourself benefited from his works uh, not to the extent of the works of his brother of course but nevertheless still uh, um, to an extent benefited from his fatawa, his books and his uh, writings. Um, One thing about him you might have picked up on in his lectures was his uh, open-mindedness and his uh, broad outlook yeah. he was very careful uh, in uh, when he used language he was m- very accommodating of all of the different strands of Islam and groups in Islam and that, you only get that from a hugely experienced individual yeah. Darulun Karachi is a phenomenal institution it's the first madrasa in Pakistan and it's you can't call it a madrasa; it's a university And Yeah, yeah, you've been the mashallah, I've had the good fortune. So Mufti Mufti Taqee, after his brother passed away, mentioned that the development of the institute after his father passed away is all down to the hard work of Mufti Rafi Usmani. So I'll end my comments, and I'm sure you want to come in on this. But on that one point, in my experience, uh, scholars of that, of his age group, um... And many people after him, till this generation, who you'd expect to be more open and broad-minded. Mufti Rafi Usmani was head and shoulders above them. His guidance, his counsel is of utmost necessity and importance when he was alive. And you don't have people of that caliber and stature replacing him. You know, these were the few individuals that, especially from a Devundi background, uh, those people who are associated with the Ulama of Deoband, or uh, traditionally, there's no one, very few scholars left amongst us around whom everyone can congregate and perhaps accept the authority of. Yeah, yeah. And when you don't have individuals like that, it's very problematic.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, you know, you have too many chiefs, not enough Indians. <laughs> and mufti uh, Rafi Usmanisab was one of those people that everyone could agree and uh, gather around and who could insert... Calmness, uh, logic, and understanding into any discussion, and that is what will be sorely missed with the departure of this great individual. and I dread the day when his brother, Shaykh Al Islam, Allah Mufti Muhammad you know, Barak Allahu uh, fi Umrihi wa Hayatihi wa Mudda Fuyudhu. Such a phenomenal individual I dread the day when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Takes such an individual away so I've yeah. spoken at great length I wouldn't let let anyone come in So please feel free
0: <laughs> No, no, it's fine, Mona. you're here to speak, man Saves us the job No, but um, I think that is the point that you just mentioned It's very important to keep in mind as well Obviously, um, with this scholars passing away It's also one of the signs of Kiyamah, you know yes. Knowledge being uplifted yeah. and I guess for us, it's also a reminder that, you know, it's, we, mm-hmm. the day of judgment yeah. is coming even more closer yeah. and closer. Yeah. yeah. And how prepared are we? Because these giants leaving, yeah. Yeah. leaving, you know, a massive gap. Mm. But we know we're nowhere near there for, mm. you know, yeah. the, the level of um, piety and amal they used to do. Mm. It just
1: makes you wonder like, where am I going? Absolutely. And th- these are inspirational people for each and every single one of us. But for the normal Muslim, you know, in the past, just to recount something from my own, uh, our own history, in in our village uh, in Bangladesh, when I inquire about my own family elders, my grandfather, my father, my uncles, they were all, you know, they didn't study in Madrasah. They had next to no knowledge of Deen, very limited. Of yeah. course, that doesn't mean that they weren't pious. They were very pious people. Yeah, compared to the level of um, attachment to the Deen today. Because obviously they lived in a very simple society. They were very pious, but they had very limited knowledge and access to knowledge. But every single one of them my grandfather, my uncles, my father were all associated with a scholar. They had the traditional bayat al-suluk, you know, the yeah, yeah. Uh, initiation into of. The they were all uh, a disciple of a well-established sheikh and they frequented them and they had a close association with them. And that is it, very important, mean, meaning. Wherever you are, uh, or on whichever side of the fence you are with regards to the sowob, irrespective of that, the association with ulama is very important. It is, yeah. And that's diminishing. And these people, whatever their... You can understand their level of uh, um, uh, how busy they were, people like Mufti or Fusmanis had, But they had... They were always approachable by the public. Yeah. They had public audiences, they had public gatherings. They engaged with the masses.
0: Definitely, yeah. And...
1: That's how they affected the hearts of, uh, and lives of so many people And that it needs to be preserved That There's no replacement for that in the digital sphere uh, yeah. Just accessing speakers online is not substitute it's not for the same. that yeah. um, And that's something Muslims really need to understand There needs to be that close connection That personal association and connection with real living ulama And the more respected and learned and experienced they are Uh, And righteous and pious they are The better
0: Yeah definitely I was going to I mentioned the fact That you are talking about Online
1: Yeah You know
0: The the attachment you have With a scholar By physically sitting in the company Mm. Listening to the talk And just listening to the online It's not the same effect Of course It's not the same relationship And I'll I'll put Jehan on the spot here Um, He's studying online But recently When he moved over to Bolton He's been going to Madrasa classes at the same time And I'm sure You know He'll speak up when he uh, decides to um, join the call. <laughs> but um, it's been a massive difference for him as yeah. well in terms of the learning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, there's a massive difference in the way he's been learning, online
2: and physically. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, nice one for putting me on the spot, Mama. But yeah, basically, um, it's what everyone says, isn't it? I think it's um, online is like play on mum, but in person's like actual world. You know, it's a completely different sensation, different feeling, and mm-hmm. the information you take, uh, the information you get from, you know, obviously all of my the way you digest it's different as well, and I think, Molana, um, you alluded to it before. Why do you think there is such a disparity amongst, especially the youth at the moment, to idolise? Uh, and I say idolise because they, they do. Some people do go crazy over these online scholars, where we don't know. Sometimes they won't have the, you know, the haircut the the way we we ought to. We think scholars do, and like you mentioned, Mufti raffle thani money, passing away. It was um, hard-hitting news for for the ulama, the people, the, you know, the learned people, but generally if you spoke to normal, you know, the normal Muslim, everyday Muslim, um, they wouldn't really know who he is, and I think that's because of the the sort of, sort of, I don't know if it's being like diluted, but it's more like them scholars, they have a very, you know, a stereotypical way of thinking, whatever, we all tend to think like that, and then these new, you know, YouTubers and all this, and they're not really scholars, they're just passing on or reading hadith and and just saying it in a nice way with some nice nasheeds in the background. But like, why do you think there is Mm. such a, especially in the youth, like the difference between looking up to them and idolizing them and idolizing an actual, like traditional, Mm. like you mentioned, Islamic scholar, really?
1: I think, you know, you could say a great deal on this. And it's just the challenge, part of the challenge of the modern world. Uh, the, The internet is ubiquitous. It's available at the click of a button. People can access this material online the way it's been designed in mm. uh, second or bite-sized clips mm. people's attention span the hard work the leisurely life we lead the overwhelming focus on other pursuits but not traditional uh, hard you know uh, effort intensive uh, pursuit of knowledge and spiritual improvement this is all unfashionable it takes a lot of a uh, commitment uh but you know, you've got your phone, you've got your devices, it's all of it's designed in such a way to be appealing and everyone's you know, unfortunately falling for it the and we're led to believe that it is a substitute. It's not all bad, it's not all doom and gloom. I'm not saying it's devoid of benefit. Of course there's lots of benefit in it as well. And mala yudra kulula yudra kullu the what can't, what you can't achieve fully you shouldn't abandon fully. So if someone doesn't have a connection with real ulama, but they're accessing good, healthy uh, uh, material online, that's better than nothing, that's good, but um, the reason why it's so appealing is because it's deliberately made to be appealing, and Um. yeah, and the thing is, you know, one thing I I, I read in Alam Ibn al-Jawzi, if you allow me to quote him, in, uh, I do recall Alam Ibn al-Jawzi mentioning, I think in his book, Sayyid al-Khatir, or Televisively, in one of those, that, you know, the shaitan, what he does, he, uh, what you don't have, yeah, what you don't have, he he embellishes the good points, he embellishes that thing, and he hides all the faults in it. Mm-hmm. He hides all the faults in it. So if a person, for example, uh, men, women are attracted to the opposite sex, as they should be, <laughs> um, when uh, then what happens, a man is happily married, the shaitan will highlight all of the faults of his wife and another woman who a man feels attracted to and that woman is haram for him, the shaitan will embellish uh, all of her points and keep hidden all of her faults. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Okay? And so online, many a times, the point I'm trying to make is that online we don't have to deal with all of the baggage and all of the wrong things or, or all of the faults that... Uh, a real person has um and you only it's fashioned and crafted and cinematography the Appeal. it is all made appealing and glistening glittering glamouring and whereas we when you deal with a real individual it's much more difficult yeah. a, a a real a scholar you they'll make you work hard they may rectify you or be strict with you on certain points they may give you answers that uh, you don't want to hear mm. you know you don't have to deal with all of this online so in it's that's easy. perhaps why it's very appealing but you know, these are just some thoughts yeah. again there is much good in it as well uh, it's not all bad on that note i know we didn't have it on our
0: um list to discuss today but just reminding me about elon musk when he took over twitter yeah um when he came in he went in and fired so many stuff yeah and and obviously there was that big hoo-ha or why is he firing yeah. these people but for me when I was really looking at that story I was thinking he's uh, thinking from a business point of view I don't need yeah. that many people Yeah, therefore I'm firing it Yeah. but what, what I was thinking is that why did Twitter have thousands of thousands of people employed in the first mm-hmm. place? Mm-hmm. What were they doing? Because yeah. Twitter is just an app where you put in your message mm-hmm. share it and that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But then if you think about it the reason why they had so many people mm-hmm. employed and not just Twitter but all these social media mm-hmm. companies they got thousands and thousands of employees simply to work out how to keep us attracted to that app. Yeah. That's the yeah. whole yeah. work Absolutely, yeah. priority. Yeah. Like how can I get more people attracted yeah. to this yeah. platform yeah. and how can I keep them engaged yeah. so that, you know,
1: they, they just keep on browsing here. Yeah. The pros and cons of the digital sphere or these modern platforms, we can talk so much about it, you know, I mean, yeah. we're not going to be able to cover any more subjects if we do stop <laughs> but there's so much and and you just indicated one which is the efforts that go on behind the scenes yeah. in influencing our decisions and we uh, and our choices we think it's a level playing field it's just a uh, a tool and we're the content creators and consumers and we're independent in those choices it's not uh, um influencing our decisions uh censoring the material what's access- accessible in certain uh, parts of the world and what isn't you know the ugly side of big tech and uh, uh, what's it, monitoring and yeah. surveillance it's, it's so all it's, there it's for so anyone who who's willing to look into it you
0: know, yeah, I, I mean, as an example, I remember in um in our maktab, I was speaking to the students. Mm. And we were just talking about how social media influences a mm. person's thinking mm. and behavior. Mm. The students were like, "No, it doesn't." Yeah. So I said to I just asked the question, "Who's had um prime drink?" I don't know if you've heard about mm. this crazy about this prime yeah, drink. Yeah. So then one of the students was like, "Oh yeah, I got a bottle last night." Mm-hmm. And so I just said, "How did you get the bottle?" Mm. They were like, I went, you know, um, I had to find someone to take me around the shops. So Mm. I got my elder sister. Mm. She then took me to Tesco, to Asda, Mm. to uh, Aldi, to Mm. whatever. Mm. There was a whole list of shops. They weren't Mm. around Mm. town. They finally managed to get one after, Mm. uh, you know, trolling around. And then I was like, how much did you pay for it? Mm. Oh, it was quite expensive. Mm. So then I went back to my main point, which was, why did you buy the drink? Mm. I just wanted to. But Why did you want it to? of course. You know yeah. who influenced you to buy the yeah. drink?
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Who, like, who benefited from mm. wasting so much time visiting so much shops? Mm. In the end, and I was like, did he even enjoy the drink? Like, mm. not that late. <laughs> mm. <laughs> what was the point then?
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just yeah. a mindless exercise. But, but who was the mm. like the, the person uh, that influenced you? Well, what one thing that as you mentioning that that came to my mind is that you know the difference between having a personal connection with a reliable. Righteous, upright scholar, and of great experience—you know—if you can have access to someone like the statue of Mufti or a few 20s, that's like the jackpot. Yeah, yeah. But is that they will tell you what you need to know unfiltered? Yeah. And you might think you've got access to everything online, but it's there's a degree of censorship already inbuilt. Yeah. Uh, and the more famous a person is, the more uh, reserved, the more cautious they are with their words of course a degree of caution needs to be exercised uh um when you're talking to anyone but a scholar one-to-one who you have a uh faith in and a good relationship with will tell you exactly what needs to be said yeah. whereas that preacher online they're thinking about the governments that the surveillance the, under whose surveillance the they operate sponsorships yeah their sponsorships
0: yes. they're
1: they're going to be pleasing uh their viewers, yeah, instead there's a little bit of um uh, I don't want to mention any names other than in a positive way, but there's one individual who refused to uh condemn uh certain types of atrocity and was unwilling to even take uh the names of a Muslims from a certain part of the world or condemn uh by a certain group by clearly stating who those oppressive individuals were, and it was all because. To maintain their platform, yeah, they have a huge social media presence, and of course, that's financially, uh, uh remunerating uh, all of these other considerations. So, you lose out on that when you don't have a direct personal connection,
0: yeah, definitely. I think, um, we spent a bit too much yeah. on our first, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's yeah. move but on. I mean, we'll, we'll move on, but know. I think it yeah. does
0: lead on to yeah. um, our next topic, which yeah. is about kind of uh. So the next topic is about the World Cup. Yeah. Obviously this was last year um, and mm. the idea about this monthly news round was mm. initiated last year but we just haven't got around to setting it up. Mm. But I did want to touch on it. Uh, or, mm. uh, uh, we, we might end up spending the rest of the night talking about it. Mm. But it, the World Cup for me, it highlighted the fact that if you're watching the news, you can't mm. just take everything on face value. Yeah. Yeah. Because if a person watched the news and they believed everything that they heard, mm they would have a completely different, like, idea, experience and attitude towards Mm. the World Cup and how it happened. Mm. Mm. Whereas a person who had, you know, some kind of um, uh, logical mind and sensibility, Mm. Mm. they wouldn't just take the face value, they would think about it. And I think, for me, it kind of highlighted Mm. how the news media Mm. would only report what they want to Mm. report, Mm. depending on their agenda. Yeah, yeah. And I think that as yeah. Muslims we have to be, not just Muslims, yeah. but as human beings, you have yeah. to be careful yeah. about, you know, yeah. the stories that you're listening, just don't take yeah. it on face value. Yeah. Think about why is it being yeah. reported in yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, and I think I'll just give some examples from the World Cup and we'll kind of go into it. So, mm. for example, one one of the things that was a big issue was when the World Cup was opened, there's always a big, um, uh, humongous ceremony mm. uh, of, the, um, of the country opening. And uh, last year's World Cup was in Qatar. And when they opened it, it was opened with a, um, a Quranic uh, a recitation. Mm. But BBC, mm. um didn't want to re- show that on their channels. Yeah. Which was a bit weird mm. because you know, yeah. every World Cup ceremony yeah. has always been yeah. shown and uh, it's always
1: been celebrated. Why filter that out? Yeah. And, I mean, the World Cup, pro- without a shadow of a doubt, the biggest sporting event... event in the world is the Football World Cup. yeah, And everyone's attention, or millions or billions of people around the world, their attention is focused on that when that occurs. Uh, before I mention about any, like some comments about the World Cup, what you were saying before about the news, I mean, this whole session that you've uh, organized and the upcoming ones is all about news roundup. And I think you yeah. should perhaps talk about that as well how Muslims should view the me- media or a sensible, not just a Muslim, yeah. we're talking about Muslim perspectives here specifically, but a human being in general, especially our youngsters, we need to be aware that, you know, the free press and the free media out to serve humanity doesn't exist. It's so not everyone is working for vested interests. Definitely, yeah. um, There's movers and shakers behind the scenes who set their agenda, who uh, decide what's to be reported and how it's to be reported. Anyone who doesn't see that, they're not living in the real world. Um and so any single person needs to take whatever the access through mainstream media or media in general, uh with a pinch of salt, uh understand that not only can it could it be distorted, it could be blatantly false. Yeah, that's yeah. my pessimistic outlook on the media. And you've invited me on, you know uh that's this is exactly why I have because I am Hundred percent. Every single thing I listen, uh, I listen with the view that not 90%, ninety percent, nineteen. I sometimes think that <laughs> I keep at the back of my mind that hundred percent of it could be false. Yeah, and I'm always hesitant. You know, subconsciously, subliminally, we're influenced by what we read, what we consume, the media consumption. But there's very little we, you know, there's we have to try harder to defend ourselves from those subconscious and subliminal. uh uh, messaging but while conscious what i try to do is um always remind myself to never make my mind up just on what we consume from media on any single issue never to take a side and even be careful about speaking on a subject uh Without having the relevant expertise So Determine. And I was going to mention That disclaimer That this is a general discussion Yes um, And you mentioned that as well That the listeners Make up their own minds It's just a general discussion And I pray in sincerity In humility To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala That what we're discussion, discussing Is a means of benefit for us all He protect Determine. us from riba And make this conversation uh, A means of benefit And not a burden On the day of judgment Amen. And We are not experts In any of these topics We're just reflecting from the limited access to the facts that we have so that's really important when you discuss media and media is not really the place where you get facts from any issue even the world cup issue you really need to have access to independent uh, journalists researchers understand where each person is speaking from you know forget media even universities places of uh, learning. learning and academic freedoms. There's a whole shady underside to that. Who funds uh, the research and how honest and what a kind of research universities themselves prioritize. Are you telling me that they're not going to prioritize uh, what's emphasized by their donors and funders? Of oh, course they are. I was going to say, so, follow the money trail. Yeah, yeah the money trail. And yeah. immediate media is... Uh, of course, if we compare... British media to other parts of the world even America, perhaps India currently it's 100 times better in this country but the, the same problems plague every uh, um, the, much of the world's media and this concocted image of the free media holding the powerful to account, is, is just a fantasy it, is, it yeah. doesn't exist just before you go mm. on to talking about the world come on, I just want to, I
0: did uh, kind of forget about it but one thing I did want to mention about reading the news as well, um, and this is purely from a Muslim point p- perspective, is that about some of the news that we're reading. Mm. I think you just mentioned Giba. Yeah.
1: It is yeah. just
0: absolutely complete. Um, absolutely. Ba- yeah. yeah. Backbiting. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, us just reading it and yeah. then
1: sharing it. Yeah. We actually pa- yeah. taking part in yeah. that backbiting. Because you're absolutely right. It's become normalized, uh, and the laws of backbiting—they're not just restricted to a conversation between two individuals a verbal conversation they apply to everything they apply to writing Uh, uh, they apply to indicating you know what you do with your fingers what you do with your eyes so they will apply even more stringently to print media and online media because the effects and consequences and the damage that can do is infinitely greater
0: it is yeah and I think sometimes you know people that are fanatic about celebrities or Mm. football stars Yeah, once there's something bad about them. Yeah. there's no hesitation to share that story. But absolutely sometimes I come across mm. a story well and like, oh that'll be interesting to share to with the group. But mm. then I think actually hold on a minute. Mm. It shouldn't be because yeah. it's it's not appropriate. Yeah. yeah. From as a Muslim, yeah. for
1: me to share that yeah. story. Absolutely. Um Absolutely. I mean we need to be mindful of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um coming to the World Cup. Um there's so much you can say, but straight up it's double standards it it stinks of hypocrisy and right from the get go and I'm not going to be considerate towards the British establishment the BBC and all the pundits I owe them nothing and it's very simply I think the main reason is because it was an Arab Muslim country yeah well, what else is going to be and uh, and it was ridiculous their criticisms it was absolutely disgusting. Uh, I read one, uh, one article online who was condemning this attitude. They highlight, or of course, highlighting the uh, right, uh, injustice against human rights and human suffering. That should we should speak out against that all the time. But it's just the double standards. Where was your? I can remember the well, the World Cup 1990 was the earliest one. And then 1994, it was in USA.
0: Yeah.
1: It was in USA just straight after the first Cold War. There was none of this uh, um, outrage. (laughs) And then even more in recent, that was quite a while back, even recently, the London uh, Olympics, that was happening when this government was actually involved in bombing a sovereign state. The London Olympics was happening, and uh, all these BBC pundits, all suited and booted, and celebrating the glory of the Olympics when Britain was involved in bombing a sovereign state in Libya. But there so, nothing. where was outrage then? Yeah. So, it's selective outrage, you know, and, and it's, it's never outrageous when certain people do it, but when Muslims or Arabs do it, it doesn't justify it. The, these Gulf Arab countries, if People should be outraged. It should be us from a Southeast Asian uh, uh, background. Back we have direct family who are suffering as laborers in these con- countries and how they get treated. We ourselves, until they see the British passport, they would say stuff like, open until recently, miskeen," and then treat you like second-class citizens yeah, yeah. in Saudi Arabia when you go for Umrah, I've in my with myself, I've seen like <laughs> people they'll prioritize Arabs in the queue and you're waiting, and they don't really give you fair service. it's now, no, but a couple of times I went. Until you speak out, so yeah. As yeah. soon as they find out then they treat you like that. So we're well aware of that, and it's not that we're dis, uh, we're not disgusted by it. Of course we are, but why the selective outrage? Why is it only a problem when it's in an Arab country? I mean, like when you take their millions and billions of pounds of investment in Premier League football, then, yeah, okay. it's all hunky dory. Then you know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean. There was outrage over Saudi Arabia's takeover of uh, Newcastle, but uh, half, half of the Premier League is uh, owned, owned owned by UAE, United Arab Emirates, and and they're the worst culprits. Yeah, they're the worst culprits uh, in uh, abuse towards other nations. They're they're in the Middle East, right at the top with Saudi Arabia, perhaps even higher in many respects. Where's the outcry over that? You know, and you're just focusing on Qatar. I'm no friend of Qatar. I don't, They have paid me or anything year, like that, yeah. but it's just I wish uh, they did. But... <laughs> I know, was the <laughs> but it's just it was ridiculous because the only reason I can see it is because it was an Arab Muslim country. Yeah, and
0: it's like some of the things they were criticizing. Mm. I was like scratching my head, like, why are you guys on about? Like, for example, you know, mm. the Moroccan players when they were kissing yeah. the mother's forehead
1: yeah. Yeah. on the pitch after mm. the match you know th- th- that was straight up racism and i don't think exactly. the british media even done that it was um some other european, european yeah, yeah. Uh, media that was straight up disgusting racism It's that is no excuse it's not even uh disguised or anything like that it was just it's just blatant, straight up blatant yeah. racism uh oh, W well, well i'm not surprised colonialism well, come on what well, are we sleeping in the potter uh, sleepwalking with zombies don't we read really our own history especially the listeners who are from southeast asian origin you know read upon our own history yeah a uh, history of colonization colonization was driven by racism if there was anything that permeated every aspect of colonization it was racism so what is suddenly vanished now of course it still exists um and you know other aspects of the uh criticism of the qatar world cover like the alcohol and stuff yeah my thing is that okay oh well the muslims might say oh well they they didn't ban it everywhere they just banned it in the stadiums my so what is good at least they had the goal and the courage to be straight up and ban it it's a muslim country you'd expect everyone else coming from all other parts of the world to your country to respect the laws of your country yeah. that's the, their law i think they should have banned it outright no, don't <laughs> allow anyone to have it. Simple as that. If it's banned in the country, why should there be any exceptions for the World Cup? I mean, well, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I completely
0: yeah. agree with that. But then, the the, 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 um, the news articles, you know, genuinely were reporting that because alcohol was banned yeah. in the stadium, yeah. people's experience
1: of the World Cup was a lot better. Yeah, it was safer. Much more family friendly. Family something. friendly, and that. Um, FIFA and but that's only people who are sincere, not driven yeah. by a, a personal bias. May might take note of that. You know, if they have, I don't believe that they had genuine uh, reasons for criticizing the stance of Qatar on the provision of alcohol and all that. If a person had genuine reasons, then the feedback they would take it into account. Yeah, but the people at the helm, I don't think they're taking it into account because that's not the narrative they want to. Pottery, uh, definitely yeah. But well, it was definitely totally, uh, my opener. So yeah. I was just going
2: to jump in there just to um, take a step back. Like you said, with the Morocco one, Um, you know the comparison mm. of the uh, players kissing their mother and you know to animals, etc. Um, mm. Like you mentioned, Molana, that was very like outright. You know that was that wasn't a it wasn't disguised in any way, shape, or form. But other things, mm. they were slightly, um like you said, subliminal in, to in in some senses. For example, the CNN news lady. Um, like you said, you don't owe the BBC anything. We don't owe CNN anything either. So uh, the CNN mm-hmm. news lady, she was made to go through a woman's, um, like a baggage checking thing. So you know when they pack you down, etc. Yeah. And she looked at the yeah. camera and she she goes, "That's really strange, isn't it?" Uh, I didn't make. Um, they mm. made me go through a special thing. Um, it didn't make me feel special. Mm. And so many people are reading yeah. into that as if, you know, as if it's a weird thing because we've built these unconscious bias, again, due to the media's yeah. um, infiltration yeah. of our minds, really, um, to say that uh, it's weird to have a lady pat you down, but it's not weird to have a man pat you down, which is so, like you mentioned about, mm-hmm. the only thing that you can get from the news really these days is is the date and the the, the day really, like there's nothing else in in in, in the... Well put. But yeah, I think yeah. it's just the the point of like the unconscious bias that the media are building for us, yeah. um, especially now with, not just with Qatar, like you mentioned, this is something that, you know, seeps into all avenues of news outlets, videos, whatever it is. Um, it's just the fact of, mm-hmm. that we can't, you know, them unconscious bias that a woman thinks it's weird to be patted down by another point It just doesn't make sense to me, but and, yeah, so it's just one of them, I guess.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's like, As immigrants, or or, or from an immigrant background ourselves, we've grown up with, um, you don't like it, go back to where you came from. When you're in this country, (laughs) you respect the laws. And I I fully agree with that. You know, if you're in this country, you live within the law. I will never be an advocate of breaking the law. Do you understand? Your freedom to exercise your freedoms within the parameters of the law. But that goes all out the window when uh, it's another country and their law. Isn't It's 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 their country, their laws. You should respect it. If they've got separate lines for uh, uh, men and women due to their local culture and to reflect their religious and cultural norms, you respect that while you're there. What's happened? You know, you you can't even offer uh, someone that courtesy. You know, if that isn't, isn't hypocrisy, then what is it? Yeah. End of the day, there's a World Cup. Cor- It's about sports, but, you know, it was made into some kind of... Yeah, I know. It's like a political issue. and You know, the saddest thing, when you see these interviews of the average Joe on the streets, the average football fan uh, who went from these countries to other countries, they're so, like, um, sensible about it. It's all of these powerful people and the people in the media that have got the knickers in a twist, (laughs) you know? And the average Joe on the streets just can't enjoy the football well no I'm happy if, if that's their law, I respect that I'm just here for the footy. Yeah, exactly. they, they, they respond like that <laughs> so it's not the average person they're fine about it it's like it's, it's like everything is a means of uh, uh of you know hoisting on you some kind of agenda I mm. think this was the only World and,
2: Cup where an England fan didn't get arrested if I'm right or the lowest number of yeah. arrests or something yeah. so they never really care about mm-hmm. them things it's always the the opposite I guess and,
1: and the, the who Outcry, Garudinica really went into meltdown <laughs> mode with them, uh, Messi wearing the abaya. Oh, they, oh, yeah, the bisht. Yeah, is, it called, is that what called? The, the bisht, bisht. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, uh, is somehow people think as well that that's some kind of religious clothing. <laughs> um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's their cultural clothing yeah. and it was like a mark of honour to him. You know, the whole world knows it's in Qatar. They don't need to remind everyone and the award ceremony that is in Qatar it's just like a, a mark of... Uh, honour to him and even if they did so what he didn't have a problem if he was to say oh that was forced on me I feel abused (laughs) you know can they invade my personal space like that (laughs) and and uh, tarnish my crowning victory if he was to make a statement like that's understandable but why is um, uh, Gary Lineker having a meltdown over it it's just pointless. But on that note, um I did notice afterwards, I don't know if it was, the,
0: the sales of Bist went up mm. and I don't know if it was genuine or not, but okay. it was, it was someone was sharing an article that it
2: was on on Sports Direct as well. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of them where, you know, it's, again, it's blatant racism this time because Pelé, mm. for example, wore a sombrero when they won it in Mexico, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but, yeah. um But just to... um Move on before we the the night cl- sort of draws to a close. The most googled yeah. man, um, in front of Ronaldo and Messi for the football fans was Andrew Tate, um, in two thousand twenty two, and it sort of brings mm. us on to the next topic again. Something that you can't mm. believe on face value, etc. of of the most googled man, um, someone who's influencing not just children these days it's, it's adults as well, and, mm. and you get the um, counter mm. arguments of the um, the women folk, etc. of what he's done and what is not. Um, I was just going to ask you one on the mm. first, just to introduce the topic in is how, um, just to confirm, if a revert's stance in Islam, how does it change once they revert back to Islam, and um, how should we see them and perceive them as a normal person that's just reverted to Islam, I guess?
1: I mean, this is a huge topic. You know, it's on the uh, lips of the teenagers, all the way to the older generation. Uh, Everywhere. Debates, discussions, mainstream media, politicians even talking about it It's a huge topic and uh, you have to tread with caution I mean, you know, it's not like a prepared lecture or anything of We're course, given yeah. on the topic So yeah. again, uh, please make your own minds up If we say anything good and helpful, then it's from Allah And if we say anything wrong, then it's from ourselves and Shaitan. Having said that, you know, a person becomes a Muslim they haven't done anyone else a favour. They've done a favour to themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's good in the sense that whenever you hear anyone become a Muslim, then uh, it's happy, I'm happy for them. As a Muslim, I should be happy for that person that they've been, whatever kind of lifestyle they have, whatever kind of person they are, a sinful, bad person, they've been guided to Allah, they've recognised the existence of their Creator. That's a huge thing for them. And if they have done that out of sincerity... then ...that Islam eradicates whatever happened before... ...so everything they had done before... Um, ...according to the preferred opinion... ...Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, forgives... ...so for them it's a great thing... ...but sometimes you know Muslims generally... ...we're obsessed with representation... ...even if it's mm-hmm. ridiculous, bad... ...unbecoming and unbefitting representation... If Andrew Tate became Muslim... I mean, he's done a favour to himself... He hasn't done a favour to me... Or to Islam... I mean... If he be- yeah, if he becomes a Muslim... And he guides thousands of people to Islam... And to correct Islam... To the Quran... To the Sunnah... To the to Allah and his Messenger... That's a cause for celebration... If he just became a Muslim... You know... That's good for him... If it's out of sincerity... But it's not something that we need to celebrate... Or anything like that... And as for... You know... You'll still measure his actions according to the guidance of Allah and his Messenger if he's done something or said something in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah and is positive in the light of Islam as Muslims then we welcome that We uh, that's good for him he saved himself from sin and uh, if he promotes that and he's promoted something good he will be eligible for reward as Muslim but if he said something bad and he had very views that are considered unhealthy and disrespectful to certain groups and especially to women, if those uh, attitudes still persist after he's a Muslim, that doesn't make those actions, those attitudes any better. They're still condemned, they're still yeah, wrong. Hundred percent. And Muslims are, I can remember, you know, in the uh, um, turn of the 20th century with the introduction in political dialogue of all of these isms, communism, capitalism and uh, democracy and all of these kind of things. Muslims, educated Muslims, were falling over themselves, trying to put Islam in a box, trying to define uh, whether uh, Islam uh, uh, does it agree with communism? Can it be classed as communist supporting, supporting or or not, or some other kind of format? And I remember, uh, I think it was Mufid in one of his books he mentioned that. Look, Islam is. 1450 years old it's above and beyond any of these modern isms as Muslims we always refer back to the Quran Sunnah and the teachings of Islam Islam will decide is is the decider is the judge it will decide if something is healthy is if something is good or is is something just worthy of the rubbish bin yeah so Andrew Tate and his ideas same thing we don't need Andrew Tate I'm not saying he's a good or bad person I will mention a few things as well um uh, whether it's Andrew Tate, whether it's Jordan Peterson, whether it's any type of influencer, we judge everything. We have clear guidelines, we are so ignorant about our own religion that we need someone else, someone like Andrew Tate, mm. to define for us what it means to be a man. These all these uh questions about what it means to be a man, gender, the role of men and women. Islam has guidance. How can we look to these people when we haven't looked to? The best of humanity, Rasulullah, to inform us w- w- when we appraise, uh, uh, equip ourselves with the knowledge of the Quran and Sunnah and it's all available, then we we wouldn't need any of these. Yeah, yeah, we would yeah. be able to determine ourselves what they're saying is it right or wrong? We wouldn't even need to go there. And even if we did, we'd be able to sift through what's right and wrong. Now, in relation to Andrew Tate, he resonates with so many people because I personally feel. He's willing to address a lot of things that in the modern climate, in these parts of the world, you're not allowed to speak about anymore. It's shoved, uh, uh, swept under the carpet. There's from government through schools, especially schools, there's a certain ethics, morals, ethos instilled in the people. It's not merely a place of education. They say that the Pope and the uh, religious people, mullahs, they're the ones who are just... Uh, brainwashing people. It's not everyone is at it. <laughs> everyone, liberalists, liberals, conservatives, governments, they're all fighting. It's a battle of minds and the battle for the soul. Everyone is doing it. So there's an official narrative now with the, uh, well, I don't know, want to be dismissive and use these phrases, but like the liberal agenda about gender, about equality, feminism. There's a huge portion of society fed up with this stuff. And the way it has been forced upon everyone. And Andrew Trey, I think he's uh, tackling a lot of these issues head on. That's why he resonates with so many people. Yeah. But as Muslims, we should be thinking it's either uh, you're against him or with him. No, it's not as simple as that. We judge everything by the Quran and Sunnah. If what he says is right, that's good for him. If he promotes that, it's good for him. But if it's wrong, we reject it irrespective of who says what. And Andrew Tate or Jordan Peterson or any person for that matter shouldn't be deciding for a Muslim these questions that uh, our, gu- our guidance regarding should be from Allah, and His Messenger, Allah's Islam So that's uh, what I would say. Him becoming a Muslim, like I said, it's good for him. So what? So what? <laughs> I, I mean, um, every Muslim, like what? Just because he, he's a Muslim now, he's more qualified to teach me about right and wrong. No, 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 exactly more. And
0: I think it's um, kind of links back to our first topic, which Mm. are scholars. If a person had a genuine um, connection with a scholar, an upright, good standards, uh, uh, good moral scholar, that scholar will teach you how to be a man. Yeah, You won't need to go on YouTube and find someone
1: else to teach you how to be a man. Of course, of course. And the thing is, the fact that Andrew Tate doesn't have dangerous... Uh, attitudes, of course, you know it, it's not like the the champion of the common people you know, like not idolising, making him into a legend he's, he's made probably anyone who refers to women as bitches and stuff, come on, that kind of language I would I would dread my ch- child to have access to that kind of stuff mm-hmm. it's disgusting um, and just because he tackles other things as well, he says, and I will be the first to say it, he tackles a lot of the things that people are fed up of uh, staying silent regarding the the forced indoctrination of certain uh, cultural ideals that are particular to one part of the world and the rest of the world. He speaks up against all of these mm. things, and that's positive, that's good. But he's got very dangerous attitudes and governments and the influence he's having on young people. The, the, they're naturally bound to uh, take notice. As for his current case about human trafficking and all that, again, it's media. Are, I, I don't know the ins and outs. Yeah. Are the Romanian authorities, like many other parts of the world, you know, open to bribes and the what is their justice system? You know, if the British, to be all in all honesty, if the British government, I don't trust anyone. All governments are have their secret uh, agendas and secret trials or whatever. But I have greater faith in the British justice system, so if he was to be arrested in Britain on human trafficking charges, I will incline to believe that there's some substance to that, but he's arrested in Romania, I don't know, I don't know anything about the Romanian yeah. authorities, what they got on him, we hope he gets a fair trial, it doesn't matter who it is, everyone yeah. should have a fair trial, exactly. and they should only be punished for the crimes they've committed yeah. and if there's some ulterior motive, there might be, but I haven't got any any, any evidence it's to really prove really the country um, so I mean it's depressing if young people are taking you know what it means to be a man and uh, the role of ma- male and females from people like Andrew Tate that's depressing enough but I'm not con- condemning him as an individual Ivan Malik of course he said about this about all good people but he applies to people throughout Ivan Malik the famous Imam of uh, Darul Hijra of Madina munawar one of the great scholars of this Ummah uh, meaning the leaders of this Ummah uh, he said that, min kalamihi illa sahib q- that every single person you take some of what they say and you reject some of what what, what they say except qabr, except for the occupier of this grave meaning we no. are we blindly follow everything Rasulullah ﷺ said, what is established from him, there is no question. Uh what, our deen is from Rasulullah. ﷺ. He brought the Quran, he brought Allah's word to us. We blindly follow till our last moment, our last breath, then Allah Rasulullah. ﷺ. But other than that, everyone and Andrew Tate is no different. Yeah. If he's saying what he or what he's saying is good, then that's fine, that's good for him. But um, if he's saying what is bad, we reject that.
0: Uh, um, I think that's a fantastic point to end our session yeah. about news um, yeah. and to kind of wrap it up Morana. Um We did have
1: some other stories to discuss, but uh, we'll mm. keep it... Just tell, if there's any listeners, tell them what you've got lined up. Perhaps the next guest can discuss some of this. Um, we'll keep it a surprise. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. In case the listing changes. Yeah. Um, But no, it's it's been a pleasure to have you back on again, Morana. And um, I'm sure for me it's been an interesting discussion. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm uh, looking forward to bringing you back on again to talk about Um, any future news articles as well, mm -hmm. inshallah. But um, I've had feedback from our listeners live as well, you know. It's been interesting
1: for them. They Um, can feel your
0: passion about the news uh, as well,
1: inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan for inviting me and... um, Again Mm -hmm. I I mentioned this before And I mentioned on the previous occasion as well Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Keep all of our intentions sincere uh, And pure for the sake of Allah And what you're doing um, Keep you sincere And make it a means of benefit Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing Uh, Make it a means of benefit Um, And Regarding the topics of discussion uh, It's just an informal discussion Amongst ourselves There's no prior research into these issues Or anything like that so uh it's just we're sharing our thoughts and we for ourselves and our and the future guests, your future guests it's important to remember that be very careful that we don't strain riba yeah. and um yeah. Bhutan slandering and anything that's not allowed in the Sharia, you know. Um we want to be Islamic in appearance, uh inward outwardly and inwardly, okay. uh in every sense. Definitely. Many a time it's just called like Islamic conversation and everything that happens is all haram and everything. So Allah protect us from all that. If we have said anything that's beneficial uh, to ourselves and to anyone else, then it's from Allah. And if we've said anything wrong, we seek Allah's forgiveness and it's from ourselves and shaitan.
2: John, have any final comments? No, just yeah for highlight Yeah, many different key aspects and key angles, different ways of thinking about things as well, and I think it's Exactly what you, you summed it up right at the end, Mollan, about um, about, you know, these men will come and go, all this news will come and go, but we've always got Quran and Sunnah to go back to, and that should be our first framework for analysing everything, so yeah, jazakallah for you. Inshallah, okay, inshallah um,
0: to our listeners for tuning in as well, inshallah, see you on the next episode, As-salamu alaykum.